don't know me I am Michelle and I am one of the pastors here at Wayfinders you probably if you're new you don't know who I am because I'm at Wayfinders San Marcos most of the time but I'm so excited to be here with you this morning and as Jason told us um, don't know what's going on behind me but uh, as Jason told us Todd is um, doing a wedding for one of his former youth group members and so he sent his love and his blessings to you guys this morning he said he misses you already um, so just know that you're being prayed for from your pastor this morning and, and, and greatly missed from him. So um, that video last week at Wayfinder San Marcos, uh, Michael Pig, the pastor there, talked about it. I had seen the video before, and he didn't show it probably because it says on Christmas and it's not even Thanksgiving yet, but he talked about it and, it, and it brought back the time, the memories of when I had seen the video. And man, it just hit me right in the gut. We have been building a house for about... I don't know, it seems like three years, but it's probably only about 15 months. We moved here from Houston, um, August of 2017, and we've been building a house ever since. And it has been a nightmare. Everything that could go wrong with it has gone wrong. And we moved in about three weeks ago, and it's still not, there's still some finishing touches. And so for the past probably six months, I have just been really bitter, just really bitter. Like the paint's awful, the workmanship is just, Bad, yeah, I was going to say uh, the word that started with a C, but I probably shouldn't say it in church. <laughs> cruddy, let me say that one, cruddy. Um, and it's just every time I, I walk into a room, I see caulk that's messed up or paint that's messed up or dents in a wall, and it's a brand new house, and it shouldn't be like that. And man, I remember the day we moved in, Megan said, Mom, are you going to be less grumpy now? And man, that video just got me because instead of being thankful for a beautiful home, a brand new home um, that you know, that's all we need. You know, God gives us exactly what we need. We don't need more than that. And I have just been bitter. And so uh, Michael showed, talked about that video last week. And then so the whole sermon was about gratitude as it was here because we're on the same preaching sermon series schedule. And I was just hitting the gut over and over um, as Michael preached. And not, you know, God never does it in a condemning way. He always does it in a loving way, right? But at the end of the sermon, 
um, when we were singing the last song, Michael comes up to me, I'm in the back row, and he says, hey, I just feel like God wants you to get up and say something, that you have something to be thankful for today. And I'm like, what? I don't want to with the microphone. And, you know, Michael just doesn't give me a choice. He gives me the microphone. And so I'm trying to think of what to say. Like, I'm seriously trying to make something up. Like, what am I going to talk about? Um, but then God said, get up and be honest. So I had to get up and confess that to them. So anyway, um, that video really got to me. But what if we woke up every day, like the guy in the video, and we were just thankful for everything? Like, what if we thought, oh, I have toothpaste to, toothpaste to brush my teeth today. You know, I have food to eat. What if we were just thankful for everything that we laid our eyes on? I wonder how that would shape our days, our lives, and then in turn shape those of our family. Because I know in my home, when my mood is off, then the rest of my family's mood is off. And then in turn, after shaping our families, what about our coworkers and even complete strangers? Um, so um, our scripture today is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. And it says this, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong in Christ Jesus. So you might think, wonder how we're going to get a sermon off of those three verses, but we are, I promise. So I don't want you to hear that, though, and tune out, because there's no way, thinking there's no way I could always be joyful, always be in prayer, and always be thankful in every circumstance. I mean, who, who, that's impossible, right? And the Apostle Paul is just, matter of fact, like, he's just like, this is what we're going to do. This is what we need to do. We always need to do it. And he just, it seems like the easiest thing in the world when he states it like that. But remember that sermon series that we just got out of on Lamentations? It's okay if we lament, right? We just can't live there. So stay with me. Don't tune me out um, as we explore what all of this means because you think it might be an impossible task. So Paul's idea is easily stated. God commands us to always be joyful, pray always or without ceasing, and be thankful in all circumstances. Note, though, that he also says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The word this is referring to all three of those commands, not just the last one, not just the third one. So you and I, sometimes, if you're like me, you're like, I'm trying to decide what God's will is. Like, what is God's will for my life? But you know um, that those three things are always God's will for us. No matter what, what else we have trouble with or what else we're trying to figure out what God wants to do with our lives, those three things are his will for us. And so for all of those um, that were overwhelmed when you heard those commands like I was, it's the last phrase that will help us. It gives us the underlying clue as to how we can begin to, to obey those commands. It says we must be in Christ Jesus. Without a relationship with Jesus, there's no way we can do those things, right? Because we need the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives to us when we're in a relationship with him to help us with those three commands. We could never even come close to obeying those commands on our own, right? So as we learn to abide in God and trust him to work through us, we will progressively become conformed into his image. Jesus was joyful and always praying and always thankful, right? And so um, being in him and relying on him are the keys to becoming like him in these three qualities. So let's talk about the first thing that Paul commands us to do. Always be joyful. Does this mean that we always go around with our smile on our face and uh, an upbeat tigger bounce to our step? Um, I don't think it does. Um, 
because if, if, if it does, then we have a problem because even Jesus and Paul, although, uh, although they had mastered those three things, they weren't always um, happy. They weren't um, always, uh, they didn't always have a smile on their face. As Jesus was on the cross, Hebrews 5, 7 tells us that Jesus prayed with loud crying and tears. In 2 Corinthians 6, 10, Paul described himself as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And in Romans 12, 15, Paul tells us, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So always be joyful does not mean deny your feelings, put on a happy face, and never feel sad. Regarding the trials that God brings into our lives to train his children, the Bible acknowledges in Hebrews 12:11 that all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So what does Paul mean when he commands always be joyful? Well, first... Let me tell you about the early Christians. Man, they had it tough. There could be persecution from Jewish or Roman authorities, or both, all at the same time. There might be division within their families. And sometimes the Christians' unwillingness to participate in the, uh, or to belong to the trade guilds um, meant that they could no, learn, no longer earn a living for their families using the, the skills that they had, that had once generated an income for them before. So these things were the real-life experience of Christians in Thessalonica. It had been like that from the earliest days of the gospel in the city. The book of Acts describes how Paul and Silas nearly lost their lives bringing the gospel there, and two evangelists had to escape the city under the cover of darkness because of all the persecution. And even the Jews from Thessalonica went after them, hunted them down to the next city, and stirred up the crowds there to persecute them some more. But later, when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he said they welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering, and that, brought the, and that he brought the gospel to them in the face of strong opposition. It had been very hard to plant that church because of the severe persecution. And Paul writes to the believers in Thessalonia, you brothers and sisters became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who had killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. In other words, their neighbors had turned on them and made them suffer for their newfound faith. That must have broken their hearts. We don't know what that is because we don't have that persecution um, here in North America. We're free to, to believe in whatever we want, and we're free to praise God however we want to, but they were not. Their friends had become their persecutors. And so to people like that, people who have gone through a hardship like that, Paul now writes, always be joyful. But how can they? These are people that had been through hell and, to hell and back. How can they constantly rejoice? Well, there are two answers. First, Paul is not talking about always being joyful in the sense of permanent happiness or a superficial smile on your face. Like that, those infuri you know, those people that are infuriating because they're always happy no matter what's going on in their life. They're always laughing and smiling and whistling a cheery tune. Um, but Paul means something deeper. The inner contentment of a life made right by God's grace, drawing on God's strength, filled with God's hope, and destined to spend eternity in God's presence. But second, how does anyone get to that level of deep commitment, contentment and joy? The New Testament says, because we're shaped by the things 
that we go through. We are shaped by the things that we go through. In fact, James writes in the first chapter of his letter, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, wherever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Paul goes a little further in Romans 5, and he says, We also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces righteousness or perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. What James and Paul are teaching us is that the finest and deepest parts of our character are formed because of the things with which we struggle. The hard things shape us. They refine us. They make us better people. They enable us to be joyful even when we don't feel like being joyful. Sometimes joy isn't even a feeling. It's a choice. Well, the second thing Paul commands us to do is to never stop praying. The Greek word used here for prayer, I'm probably going to mess it up, but you don't know because you don't know what it is, but it's prosikimi. See, I jinxed myself. Prosikimi. And at the root of it, it combines two words. One meaning to face in a direction, to face in a direction, and the other to speak out loud. And therefore, the core meaning is turning to God to share your thoughts, your needs, and your desires with him. So prosekimi does not mean to pray. I mean, it does mean to pray, but it also means to bring your whole life before him. So how, do you, how then do we pray continually? Praying without any break seems uh, to rule out sleeping, eating, and several other important parts of life, right? Some commentators think that Paul is talking about recurrence rather than constancy. So it's not that we pray every single moment of every day, but that we keep coming back to God in prayer. And Paul could mean that. It's also possible that Paul talks of praying constantly in the same sense that I might say that I love my husband constantly. That doesn't mean I do, don't do anything else but sit there and gaze into his big brown eyes uh, and sigh in contentment to be with him, right? I still go out. I still notice the weather. I still do things that need to be done. My attention still goes on, on other parts of my life. But none of that diminishes my love for George, right? It's always there, and it affects every part of my life, my decisions, my motives, my plans. So it's a love that is constant. Our love for God, our turning to God, our being in his presence, our seeking his will, and drawing on his strength can and should be a constant in our lives. Not just something that we do on Sundays, right? We keep bringing our love and our lives to God, never ceasing to offer our whole selves and all of our concerns to him. And three, Paul commands us to be thankful in all circumstances. Be thankful in all circumstances. I have really fallen short of that lately. So in the United States, you know that we set aside the fourth Sunday of the month um, for Thanksgiving. Um, but you see, Scripture instructs us that we are to give thanks in all circumstances, not just for the day that comes around once a year where we get to stuff our face with turkey and watch football. Dallas Cowboys, woohoo! Anybody else like the Cowboys? Or are y'all going to stone me when we leave? Cowboys, woohoo! Friend over there. I don't even know who's playing the Cowboys Thursday. Does anybody? But see, they're America's team. That's why they get to play every Thanksgiving. I'll leave it at that. All right. So Nancy DeMoss states, Thanksgiving really should be thanks living a way of life, day in, 
day out, morning, noon, and night, continually, forever giving thanks to the Lord. I like that, thanks living. But you may be thinking, I've gone through some pretty bad stuff that I can't even begin to be thankful for. There's evil, injustice, and cruelty exist that exist every day in this world. As followers, followers of Jesus, we are not immune to the trials, the pains, the difficulties, and the sufferings of life. In fact, life can be very brutal at times, right? It can be extremely difficult to give thanks to God in such times. Scripture never instructs us to give us, never, Scripture never instructs us, instructs us to give thanks for the wicked, for the immoral, and the sinful circumstances, but rather to give thanks in them. There's a difference between giving thanks for them and giving thanks in them. Um, there's a, a girl that my daughter uh, went to school with when we lived in Houston, and she um, was diagnosed with Lyme disease um, about, I don't know, I don't know, a few months ago, six or seven months ago. Um, and during the course of them trying to figure out the treatments for Lyme disease, they also discovered that she has, I, for, I forget the name of it, but her brain is protruding, protruding through her skull in the back. And so now they don't know what's causing the symptoms, like if it's the Lyme disease or the, the brain sticking out or both. Um, but she is a senior in high school. And just a few months ago, she was planning and dreaming for her future, planning what college that she would go to. And now she just has trouble doing everyday tasks. She needs most of the time help getting dressed and uh, doing grooming and things like that. She's lost some of her hearing. Um, she has some speech problems and she is in pain, constant pain. Um, and her mom has a, a Caring Bridge um, page that she updates um, about, I don't know, every couple of weeks. And, uh, she updated it yesterday, and I want to read parts of it to you. She says, I've struggled with updating CaringBridge this past week. I just haven't felt like I've been in the right headspace to write. I always want to come and share the positive, but if I'm being honest, the positive has been hard to find lately. Tonight, I want to come and share my mom heart. My hesitation in that is I never want to write and anyone ever doubt the fact that no matter what valley we are in, we still have hope and faith, and belief that our God is good. He is so good. It's just that sometimes life doesn't seem so good. Grace never recovered from that football game. She was feeling better, so her parents brought her to the Friday night uh, high school game, where she was a cheerleader before all of this happened. She hasn't been able to see anyone, go anywhere, or even get off the couch. We don't know if we got too excited about her progress and pushed it too hard, we don't know if we didn't allow enough rest in between activities, or as our doctor said, it might not have been anything you did, she just relapsed. That's part of the disease. What we do know is these last couple weeks have been hard on all of us. As I told my friend the other day, sometimes I think it was easier living in the lows than in the highs and the lows. We got our hopes up. We started celebrating a little too early. We started making plans for the future that we now know most likely won't happen anytime soon. We thought we had turned a corner only to find out that we were headed in reverse. We've lost our confidence once again. We've also lost a part of grace that we thought we had found. We left for New York Thursday, last Thursday for Grace's doctor's appointment. It was a rough trip for Grace. Thursday was one of the worst days she's had in months. The plane ride brought pain and tears. The car ride brought nausea. I'm so very thankful 
we had been with us. He took charge of our bag. He loaded the car for us. He held Grace's hand to help her walk. He checked on her in the car to see if she needed a drink or more air. I am in awe of the way an 11-year-old knows how to take care of his older sister. I've worried so much about him, but at the end of the day, I know Finn will be okay. He has such deep compassion and knows how to love so purely. These are the moments I will treasure. These are the moments that remind me how very good our God is. The appointment with her doctor went well. The trip was a beautiful reminder that even though Grace has relapsed and isn't where we want her to be, she has still made progress since the last time we were in New York for an appointment. The doctor seemed pleased with her progress, but feels like she plateaued with the current treatment and decided to change her meds. She started the new bed Sunday, and since then, she has only regressed. She is in pain daily and almost constantly. I still sleep with her, and through the night, she will call out, I don't feel good, or my body hurts, Mama. It hurts my heart that even in her sleep, she can't find peace. She turns 18 tomorrow. It's been hard to figure out how to celebrate. We don't know what her body will be up for. We've always looked forward to birthdays, but this birthday we approach with some hesitation, anxiety, and lots of prayer. This birthday has reminded us that life moves on, even when we aren't moving along with it. As her birthday approaches, it's brought back so many memories of years past. I remember the day she was born. She came two weeks early, the only time I think Grace has ever been early, and she was surrounded by a room full of people that were so ready to love her. The other day, I found a picture from the day of her birth. Looking back, it seems like Kevin and I were babies ourselves. We had no idea what we were getting into or how this little bundle of grace would change our lives. I'm a planner, and we hadn't planned this. To be honest, at the time, we couldn't understand why God made this a part of our plan. But once we saw her and held her, we knew. The bundle of grace taught us to love beyond ourselves. She taught us to be selfless. She taught us to laugh, to be silly, and to learn all the words to the Elmo song that she sang constantly. She made me fall in her love with her daddy in a whole new way as I watched him learn if bloomers went on before or after tights, how to paint nails, and how to braid her hair. She has taught us that we have a purpose outside of ourselves. She gave us our most honored titles of mommy and daddy. She quickly became our world. I've often said that the moment she was placed in my arms, I knew. I knew God knew that we needed her even when we didn't. God brought her to us, and she changed us, and we have never been the same. We can only thank him for giving us what we never knew we needed, our blessing of grace. In an odd way, I have to believe that that's what he's doing with us now. These past 17 years, I have been right next to Grace, relating my life experiences to her, trying to help her navigate through hers. When she didn't make the volleyball team, I was there telling her how I didn't make the drill team, and it taught me to set a goal and to work even harder, and to have empathy for those who don't always make the team. When her heart was broken, I shared my own story of heartbreak in high school and how I'm now so thankful God didn't answer my prayers back then or I never would have found her dad. When she was stressed over grades, I shared my own experiences with school and how I learned that grades don't define you and that one day life will celebrate you for the talents you have that can never be measured in a grade book. When she was betrayed in a friendship, I told her how I lost my best friend my senior year in high school, but then how God taught me the value of an apology and the art of forgiveness, and how that person to this day is one of my best friends. It seems like until these past six months, I had walked the road she was walking, and I felt I could help her navigate it. But suddenly, this past June, she went down a road that I had never traveled. It's hard to explain how it feels as a mom 
to see your child go down a path that you haven't experienced and you never would have wished for them to experience. It's beyond painful to watch your face illness and uncertainty that I've never had to face. I have no words and I can't draw from any experience. I can't give her a story to sh I can't give her a story that I went through that can relate. I can't relate. I'm at a loss. I can only desperately wish I could take her way away her pain and be the one traveling down the path instead of her. I wish I could explain how sad I feel watching her on this journey, knowing that all I can do is encourage her and love her. But that end of the day, I'm forced to watch her walk it alone. He's changing us and he's teaching us. He's not leaving us. He's carrying us. He's taking us down a path we might not understand or want to be on. But we are trying so desperately to trust it's better than any path we could have chosen or planned. He knew that day he put grace in my arms, how very much we needed her. He knew that she would make us the people he needed us to be. He knew the light that she would bring in our lives. Today he knows that this path is what grace needs to make her light shine even brighter. He knows. That family has learned how to walk and exist in thanksgiving. You see, it's simple to thank God when he does miracles and answers prayers just the way we want them answered. But when our situation seems awful and we're struggling through tragedy or just plain hard times, it can, it can be hard to believe that God is there taking care of things. It can be hard to say, I know you love me. Thank you for what you're doing even now. Well, Corey and Betsy um, Ten Boom um, learned to give thanks in all circumstances, including uh, concentration camp during World War, World, War? World II. There you go. Their family was arrested by the Nazis for hiding Jews um, and consequently sent to concentration camps. Corey and Betsy would uh, be moved... Um, to new barracks that were even worse than the ones that they were in. These barracks were flea-infested. And Betsy said, told Corey, she said, we're even going to thank God for the fleas. And Corey said, I am not thanking God for the fleas. That's just ridiculous. And Betsy said, yes, sister, we're going to thank God for the fleas. And it turns out that while all of the other barracks were being, um, the guards were harassing the people in the barracks, they were uh, physically abusing them, sexually abusing them, um, and they, they were just, uh, they could, Corey and Betsy and the people in their, their barracks could hear just the screams going on everywhere else. But the guards did not come into their barracks because of the fleas. And so um, we, we can give thanks even for the fleas, right? But it, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to say thank you for what you're doing even now. But we can because Deuteronomy 31, 6, 8 tells us that God is always with us, even in our darkest times. And Hebrews 4.15 tells us that Jesus understands what we are going through. He understands what we are going through because he himself experienced tremendous pain and suffering. And finally, we can give thanks always because the Holy Spirit is in us. He's comforting us. He's encouraging us. He's strengthening us and ministering to us in the midst of loss and pain. Thirteen years before his conversion, John Wesley, you can come on up, Isabel. John Wesley had a conversation one night with a porter of his college that impressed Wesley that there was more to Christianity than he had found. The porter had only one coat. He had eaten no food that day, and yet his heart was full of gratitude to God. And John Wesley said to him, You thank God even when you don't have food, when you have nothing to wear, and have no bed to lie upon. What else do you thank him for? 
I thank him, answered the porter, that he has given me life and being and a heart to love him and a desire to serve him. And Charles Stanley said, thankfulness is a choice. If it's lacking in us, we must decide to change. As we recognize and acknowledge God's wonderful blessings and ask him to give us grateful hearts, he will begin transforming our lives. Then, as we live in Christ, his characteristics of goodness, love, kindness, and generosity will pour through us until we are truly overflowing with gratitude. And when we are truly overflowing with gratitude, then we will put that into action, and then we will give back to God and back to others. Will you pray with me this morning?